0: This is the Resurrection Identity Podcast and my name is Tyler Miller. What do we do when it seems like things in life are deader than a doornail? We are going to investigate that today in Season 1, Episode 6, Resurrected from Decay. We're going to talk about how the Lord will take everything that seems to be dead and bring it into resurrection life, all for the glory of God. Let's go! Welcome back to the Resurrection Identity podcast. I'm so excited to be with you today on season one, episode six. Today, we're talking about being resurrected from decay. I think all of us in our lives have moments where we realize, man, there are some areas of decay that need to be taken care of, and maybe in your life, It seems like certain things have died completely beyond the hope of any kind of life. Maybe that's a relationship. Maybe that's your marriage. Maybe that's uh, something going on with your kids or your family, your parents. I don't know. Your job, maybe. But regardless of what it is, the Lord is always going to be the Lord of Resurrection. And we see that so clearly in the story of Lazarus. So today is a day of hope. Today is a day of victory. And today is a day for you to be set free from that bondage thinking that anything on this earth, anything that you're involved in as a believer has to stay in a dead zone. It doesn't in Jesus' name. So let's get into it. If you would, go ahead and grab your Bible and open it to John chapter 11. We're gonna be weaving our way through the story of Lazarus. We know from the word that Lazarus was a friend of God, um, that Jesus loved Lazarus, that Jesus loved his sisters, Mary and Martha. And so we pick up this story where it seems like Lazarus has died. And it seems like that, Because he actually literally did die. (laughs) So Lazarus actually died and the news of it comes to Jesus. So that's where we begin this story. So it says in uh, John chapter 11, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So it was well known that Jesus loved Lazarus. They even refer to Lazarus that way, the one you love, Jesus. So verse four says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Let's stop there. I love the surety of our savior. Isn't it so good that Jesus isn't like, oh man, I don't know what's gonna happen. Nope, that's not the God we serve. Jesus says definitively, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that the son may be glorified through it. All of us in our lives have moments like this where it's like, hey, Jesus, there's a huge issue. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And I think Jesus smiles and he just looks at us and he's like, man, if you could just see from my perspective what I'm going to do through this, your mind would be blown. So Lord Jesus, would you catch us up into your reality, into heavenly perspective on our lives? Because when you know Jesus as your savior, you have access to all of these things. You have access to faith you have access to his healing you have access to deliverance and freedom and victory even when it doesn't seem like it and i know in my life there's been many moments um even over this last year where i just you know you get into these pits sometimes and you're like man i feel like i'm in despair and really all it is is we're just not believing the fullness of who jesus is and he understands that even like with our doubts and all that stuff he he gets it because the bible says that he he was tempted in every way we were tempted and that he sympathizes with us. He's the sympathetic great high priest. He has compassion over us. So he understands the human condition, right? He gets that we go through these things, but with him, he's always pulling us up out of the valley by meeting with us when we're in the valley. So as long as we keep seeking him and our heart is set on him, that's the point of everything. It's to to invite him into every season, whether it's exciting and and easy and light, or it's a heavier season. He's always calling us to take his yoke upon us, which is easy and his burden, which is light. So it says in chapter five, excuse me, chapter 11, verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. (laughs) Okay, let's stop here. I love this. This is like upside down thinking for us. So it says in verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That's not how I thought that verse would end. I would think, oh my gosh, Jesus, if you truly loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, like this verse says, It should say you immediately ran to their aid instantly, but no, it says because he loved them, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. That's really interesting. So he actually waits because he loves them. And then he does, of course, he actually goes there too. He doesn't deny them and not show up. He shows up, but it's on a different timeline than what we would think he should do if he truly is loving. He'll do what I want in exactly when I think he should, right? So the thing I think we need to take away is that there are moments in our life where we will be pressing in for something. We are interceding for something and we're not seeing the breakthrough. We're not seeing the fullness of the answer. And I believe that sometimes what that means is that God is actually employing a holy delay in order to receive more glory from the situation and to actually bless you more in the long term. So you can get excited when he makes you press in for things and when you have to wait. We don't like it in our flesh, but it is so good because in those waiting seasons is when our faith is built and when our character is formed in the Lord. So then um, it says in verse 8, But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said, To the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So Jesus, it's very clear. He knows that Lazarus is dead. The disciples, of course, think he's just sleeping. But Jesus is like, oh, no, he's dead. And then Jesus says, and for your sake, I'm actually glad that he's dead so that you may believe. Jesus is always interested in our belief. He's always interested in our hearts growing in belief and in depth of trusting him. And so this was this great teaching opportunity for his disciples. Do you know that sometimes I think this is a weird statement to make, but I think that when we go through these hard things, sometimes these things that feel like death in our life, Jesus does not see them that way. Because again, he has this heavenly perspective that we really want to get wrapped up in. He has this perspective of like, yeah, when you finish this battle you're in right now and you come into victory because you need to know, if listener, you need to know, listener, that if you are with Jesus, if you know him as your Lord and Savior, you've already won, okay? the The war has been won, but in our weird out-of-time timeline where Jesus is above and outside of natural linear time and we're in linear time, we have these battles that we fight, right? There's spiritual warfare. There are things we walk through with our flesh. There are things that are always going on. But the exciting thing with Jesus is we know the end of the story. He is victorious. And so we might be in a battle, but whatever, we're not going to lose the war. We, we battle day to day and we have guaranteed victory in Jesus' name. So sometimes those things that are really difficult or dark for us that seem like, oh, my gosh, this feels like total death. This feels like this is so awful. How is this ever going to be resolved? Jesus actually sees it as like, do you have any idea how much I'm going to grow you through this? This is actually going to be for my glory. This is going to be one of the best things when you look back on it. And that's, I think, so clearly why the Bible says we can rejoice in all things. We can rejoice in all circumstances. We can give thanks in all circumstances and know that Jesus has got it. He is with us. Even when we feel like he's not, even when our flesh lies to us and says that he's not, the truth is, The war is won. We fight from victory, not for victory. Hallelujah. So then, if we continue on in the story, we go to verse 17 of John 11, and it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who is to come into the world. So I love this. So Martha is saying, like, Lord, I know that you will receive anything that you ask for from God. I I know that you are God. I know that you're the Messiah. And I know that my brother will rise again in the last day in the resurrection. And then Jesus reminds her, do you understand? I am the resurrection. I am it. I am the resurrection and I am the life. By knowing me, you step into life. And this is something he's about to demonstrate to them that even on earth, we can step into literal resurrection life, but eternally, we also step into that. But he's going to even show them a miracle that... The things that you think are dead, if you are in me, if you are one with me, if you are seeking me and asking me and pursuing me, I will raise back to life things that you think are actually dead and you're convinced are dead. So he says, do you believe this? And then she says in verse 27, yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So here, Mary is saying the same thing that Martha said. What I really love about Mary. So this is the Mary that, you know, fell at his feet and washed his feet with her hair and her tears. And um, what I love about this is Mary. Again, we see this picture again. She lived at the feet of Jesus. And, In this case, she doesn't have the full revelation right now that he's going to raise her brother back to life because she's at his feet saying, if you had been here. But what I love about Mary, she's bringing her vulnerability before the Lord. God, I am disappointed. If you had been here, I know that he would have lived. He wouldn't have died. They're not realizing quite yet the fullness of the resurrection life of Jesus, that he literally is life. Like he is life personified. He is it. And so, but she's at his feet. And she's being honest. And I think that the Lord loves that. I think that he he's so moved by that. Um, she's bringing it to his feet. She's not blaming him or or throwing accusations at him, but she's at his feet laying out her heart just like she had done before when she washed his feet with her hair. So then as we continue on, It says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I think there's a lot of directions we could take this verse. Like, why was he deeply moved and troubled? What does it mean? Um, In the Greek, the word for this, the deeply moved in spirit and troubled, is like a, actually like an indignation, like this intensity about the situation um but in Aramaic it's like total compassion and tenderness for what Mary's going through so there's like this double lens of how this is seen um and literally the so the Greek it's really interesting it says to be moved with anger or to admonish sternly but then the Aramaic like I said is compassion and tenderness and I actually think both of those things are happening at the same time I think that there's a fury against death. I think Jesus hates death. I think God hates death. Um, He hates the works of the enemy. And so when he sees that, there is a righteous indignation against those things, against death, that would bring people into mourning and weeping and a place of despair. God does not delight in our despair. He doesn't want us to be depressed and anxious and so filled with mourning. Um, he wants us to be free and living in resurrection. And so I think that he the, the anger component of this would be at the works of the enemy. That's what I would say. And then I think the other side of it, the tenderness and compassion is like, man, he fully understands what's going on. He understands what human people are going through because he was fully man and fully God. Now, as we continue, verse 34 says, Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Verse 35. There's also a lot of speculation. What was Jesus weeping over? And yeah, it could be all the different things that I've heard is like lack of faith, weeping over people's unbelief. Um, It could be compassion. He's just weeping over the circumstance. He knows that he's going to bring him back to life, but he's still deeply moved for the people around him and again the bible calls him this great high priest who can fully sympathize with us and our weaknesses he knows what it is to be human um which is such a oh thank you jesus that you know what it is to be human thank you that you understand our frailty the bible says that he remembers our frame he knows that we're but dust right so he understands the frailty of being human um and the things that we do not understand And then um, there's such a, yeah, there's so many opinions about what is he weeping about. And to me, I just think about him looking at the tomb that Lazarus is in, and we're about to get into this, but he's looking at this vision and it's prophetic. He's seeing this thing that's about to befall him. He knows what he's about to be subjected to, and he knows the death that has reigned on the earth. And the the things that have taken place before his sacrifice had been made. And he knows, I think in this moment, he's like, he's seeing the multitudes of people that are going to be saved through his sacrifice. And yet in that human form, there's still the weight of that sacrifice that has to be paid. I think sometimes we think of Jesus like, well, yeah, he was God on earth. So he actually didn't really struggle with anything or like he didn't have any, um, you know, like difficulties with anything in his, in his emotions or whatever. And it's like, he was still fully man. So he, he fully is feeling the intensity of what is going to happen to him. The, he feels the full weight of what it is to be the sacrifice for all humanity. The Bible would call him the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. This was always the plan. So now it's like, it's go time. This is the moment. This is about to happen to me. And I'm sure in this duality of like, I'm God and I'm also fully man, he's feeling the full weight of that. And so I think there's just so much going on in Jesus right now. And yet he's about to bring glory to his name and glory to the father, because that's what he does. So it says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him because he's weeping. Um, Verse 37 says, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Ooh, hallelujah. So again, there's this moment where people are questioning Jesus and he's deeply moved again and Again, I think he understands where people are at because the whole point of him coming here, he says, for his disciples and for these people, you need to believe in me. You need to believe. You need to have trust and faith in me. And he, like at the beginning of the story, he tells the disciples, I'm glad that Lazarus is dead for your sake, so that you would see the glory of the Father, so that you would see this miracle and your faith would be built and you would believe like this is all part of the plan. So I don't think Jesus is coming in here and he's just mad at everyone for not believing And like, what's your guys' problem? Why don't you get it? I I think he knows that they're not getting it. Like as he comes in, he understands that they don't get it. And he does this miracle so that the father would be glorified. And so that people would believe in him as the son of God, the Messiah, the savior of the world. And so. I love that Jesus just says, Lazarus, come out, and the dead man came out. And I also love that uh, Martha says, "This we shouldn't open the tomb because there's going to be a bad odor because he's already decaying. He's been in there four days. Jesus waits to the point, just notice this. He's waiting to the point where Lazarus literally starts decaying before he brings him back to life. He doesn't go immediately to the tomb. He doesn't run there the second that he hears about it. The guy is literally dead, literally decaying bodily. How much greater of a miracle is that than like, oh yeah, he was kind of sick and so I came and just healed him. Like, think of the weight of this miracle. This guy is decomposing and the scent, the stench of him would be so bad that they didn't want to open the tomb. And Jesus is like, yeah, I can take any situation that is rotting and foul-smelling and terrible, and I can resurrect it immediately. Immediately. So I want you to know in your life today, whatever is going on, whatever you're walking through, whatever your family is walking through, you need to know that Jesus can raise even a decaying situation from complete death to complete life. And sometimes we ourselves have become this dead and decaying thing. We feel like our lives have taken on this decay. And maybe that's from sin. Maybe that's from just, yeah, bad decision-making or generational stuff. Maybe it's demonic, things that have been passed down into us, abuse. I don't know what your situation is today, but I do know who the Savior is. And I know that your way out is to come to him. Would you bow down to his feet? And even if today you're having a hard time believing that he would work this miracle on your behalf, because there are lies that are screaming in your head and things that you've come into agreement with. Well, I've never seen that kind of deliverance in my family. I don't know. I've never experienced that myself. He doesn't, he's not worried about that. He's not worried about your past experience and the things that are keeping you away. He's, he's concerned with you coming into faith in him. Not faith in yourself to change, not faith in your own ability to have faith, faith in who he is, who he has revealed himself to be, which is the savior, the healer, and the deliverer. And so I want you to know, if you feel like you're decaying today, you're still not beyond the reach and touch of God. There is nowhere you can run from his presence. There is nowhere you can flee from his love. He wants to encounter you. And I love this. When he comes out of the grave, uh, Lazarus comes out of the grave, Jesus says to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Sometimes it's like we we get saved, right? And we're living our life for the Lord, or we're trying to, but we're more caught up in the things of the culture and you know, the generational things from our family and our own traditions, then we are caught up into the new movement of God, what he's doing and what he wants to do in our lives presently today. And we get more concerned with everything else. And we find like, Hey, I'm not in the grave cause I know I'm saved, but I'm wearing grave clothes. I feel bound still. Well, the Lord just says, take off those grave clothes, just get rid of them. Take those linens off of your eyes so you can see the future where I'm leading you. Take those restrictive linens of tradition and those things that are just tying your arms down to your sides and your your legs, keeping you from moving forward in great speed and great agility. Take all of that off. Maybe your linens look like, again, family history and generational Christianity and traditions that can't be proven in the word they're not things that you can prove biblically but you stick to them and you hold on to them with all your might that's grave clothes that's just grave clothes that you're wearing and jesus is like that's just not for you I freed you from this stuff, and I, I've i brought you out of a life of bondage into marvelous light, and I want you to walk now in freedom. I don't want you to be hobbling through life wrapped in tight grave clothes that are restrictive. I want you, you're out of the grave because I've saved you. Now, by the power of my Holy Spirit coming to rest upon you, the Bible says that he will clothe you in power from on high through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So he actually has different clothes for you to wear, hallelujah, and it's the clothes of the power from on high. It's the Holy spirit clothing that he wants to place upon your shoulders, a garment upon your life, a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, a garment of power instead of weakness, a garment of freedom instead of bondage. And he wants you to walk in that, not the old stuff from, well, this is how we do it at church. We don't really care how you do it at church. We care what Jesus says and who he is and what his nature is. So I want to encourage you today, if you're in a season of decay and you feel like I've been in the grave, but I know that I'm saved, I know that I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, he's calling you into deeper waters today. He's asking you, okay, I've brought you out of the grave, but would you remove your grave clothes now? Would you let me remove your grave clothes and give you a new garment to wear? You don't need any of those restrictive things, those religious things. You can let them go. So I want to stir up our faith today in him. I want to stir up our faith that he is the healer. He is the resurrector of all things. Amen. He is the one who takes dead things and brings them to life. So I want to pray over you right now and your situation. So I just feel like right now, if you would just hold your hands out, like you're receiving a gift. I just want to pray over you because it's this posture when your hands are like palms up in front of you, like you're going to receive a gift. It's this surrender posture of like, I'm letting go of this. I'm offering these things to you, God, and I'm not going to hold on anymore to these things that I don't need. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you inhabit us that you are the spirit of Jesus himself from this story, actual Jesus. You are the spirit of the living God and you live in us. And Jesus, I thank you that you sent your spirit to live in us so that we would be one with you and we would be caught up in the reality of heaven instead of the trappings of earth, those tombs of earth. Father, right now, I pray that you would bring to mind anything that we have been holding on to that we've been dressing ourselves in, that have been grave clothes for us. I declare that we're free because we know you. We have been forgiven. We have been redeemed. We are resurrected with you. We have been saved for the day of redemption. Lord, all of these things are true. If we've invited you to be our Lord and Savior, but God, there is more you want to give us than simply like, okay, you're free. Now live in bondage. That's not what you have for us, God. You have everything to give us. Salvation Means we're saved, healed, and delivered. So, God, I just pray your freedom right now. I pray that as these hands are out to you, that we would release those traditions. We would release that unbelief. We would release those grave clothes unto you, Father God. And we trust that right now, in faith, we declare that you are taking those things out of our hands and you are calling us forth and you are putting a new garment in our hands to put on. You are clothing us with power from on high. God, I pray right now over this broadcast. Even if people don't fully understand this right now, I pray that you would pour out your baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking for it right now. And God, in this posture of receiving with our hands forward, God, we ask for it. I just, would you just attach your faith to this and ask the Lord, Lord, would you baptize me in your Holy Spirit? The Bible says to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a continual filling. But I also believe there is a time where the Holy Spirit will, for the first time, come upon you in power and release spiritual gifts into you. He will release your prayer language to you. He will release prophecy to you. He will encounter you in a way that equips you to walk on this earth as the hands and feet of Jesus. He will make us his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's what he does for his believers. We're not stagnant people. If you're a Christian, you're not called to be stagnant. You're called to live an activated life before the Lord. And so I understand there's lots of doctrines, Lord Jesus. I understand that lots of things of man have bled into your word, but God, we receive the baptism today. I pray power from on high, down from heaven in the mighty name of Jesus over every listener. And if they've already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in an initial time, I pray Father God that you would give them a fresh filling today. I pray that you would blow us away with the wonder of who you are with your signs and wonders, your miracles, Father God, that lead people into interaction with you, into holy encounter with you. And God, I pray today that this would be a marking day where we step into total resurrected life, not partially, not I'm saved, but I'm still wearing grave clothes, but today is the day that we step into ultimate freedom with Lord Jesus. God, I pray that over myself. I pray that over everyone listening. I thank you for these beautiful people that you've called yours, I thank you, Jesus, that we never again have to think that we're going to just be stuck in a state of decay or in any tomb. We thank you that the stench is gone, and now the only fragrance that comes from us is the fragrance of our worship. It rises to you like incense, God. We bless the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Son. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, mighty three-in-one, for what you have done for us today. We receive it in faith. We believe in your power. And we declare your goodness over our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope this encouraged you. I know this is a famous passage, as is most of the Bible. Um, Everything's famous. But this is so good to just read through this. And I love those, those parallels that we see of like, Man, Jesus does not have time to put up with death. Like he doesn't, he hates the works of the enemy. He's never like welcoming the enemy's death into our life. When he sees the enemy wreaking havoc in our lives or even our own flesh wreaking havoc, he's like, nope, take off those grave clothes. Don't come into agreement with those things. He wants freedom and he's radical about us getting free. He wants us to be free. And I believe his his fire... His anger burns against the works of the enemy and the works of the flesh. It's not, he doesn't have anger stored up for us or wrath stored up for us because we're not getting something. He has compassion and tenderness for us, like with Mary, like with the mourners. He understands what we're going through, but he's like, man, I understand and I'm moved by compassion and I have this fire in me that wants to burn away all of those false things that you're hearing and feeling. And so I just want you to know that Jesus loves you so much and he's so great, he's so vast. There, There's so many aspects of him. And so I'm just so thankful that he understands us, he sympathizes with us, and he is not content to leave us where we are and just call it good. He's like, nope, I'm going to take those grave clothes. I'm going to take those bandages from your eyes, from your hands, from your body, and you're going to walk in resurrection freedom all the days of your life. Glory to God. I will talk to you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And enjoy your freedom. Those grave clothes are gone in Jesus' name.